Please join with me by taking out your Bibles and turning with me to the Gospel according to Mark. Mark's Gospel, where we'll be for the next several months as we work our way through the shortest of all the Gospels. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your mercy. Father, we are absolutely dependent upon you for all things, and we are dependent upon you now to understand your word and to apply your word. Father, we want to not only be hearers of your word, but doers as well. So, Father, would you open our minds and hearts to know your truth, and would you strengthen our hands and feet to do your truth, Not in order to be right with you, but the fruit, to display the fruit of being right with you. Father, help us now, we pray, as we turn to your word, in Jesus' name, amen. We are here at week number 24 in Jesus According to the Bible, an exposition of the Gospel of Mark. Happen to be listening or watching the news earlier this week, and I heard this statement made by a well-known national figure, quote, on a day that we are mourning Muhammad Ali, it's worth remembering that we live in a country where people can break down barriers, where they can worship their own God, where they can choose their own name and where they can lead and follow their dreams as far as their hard work and talent will take them. Well, I'm sometimes a passive listener to the news. I don't know about you all, but something else is going on, and I'm trying to do several things at once. But these words grabbed my attention, this in particular, where they can worship their own God. Did you hear that? Worship their own God. That really does capture the present day, doesn't it? But you know what? It captures the day ever since Genesis 3, doesn't it? Ever since the fall of man, man has been creating and fashioning some God to serve, some deity to bow down and worship, some significant and something that can give them significance and security and when we run out of things to make and follow all we have to do is look in the mirror and there before us often is a God that we worship our own God well this kind of freedom to worship their own God and choose their own name is not freedom but it's slavery And it doesn't lead to life, rather it leads to death. Because I hope you all know by now that Christianity is, among other things, the worship of the true living God, the one true and living God as he has made himself known in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christianity indeed is an exclusive religion. The people that say your your religion is too exclusive, they're absolutely right because 
Here are the words of Jesus from John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And yet Christianity is not only exclusive, Christianity is incredibly inclusive. What do I mean? Just go back to John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So here in just these two statements of Jesus, we see the exclusivity of Christianity and yet its inclusivity. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And whoever comes to Jesus won't hunger or thirst. Indeed, it goes without saying, but we should often remind ourselves that at the center of Christianity is Jesus Christ. And so therefore, it's important, it's absolutely critical, it's really a matter of life and death to know who He is, what He came to do, and how someone should respond to the person and work of Jesus. And that's what we're doing in Mark as we look at Mark as that shortest catechism. Well, let's review where we've been before getting to chapter 7. In chapters 1 through 3, Mark has introduced us to Jesus as God's authoritative king whose priority is to seek out sinners as he preaches the message of the kingdom. He faces the opposition of both Satan and the religious leaders, which points out that his message will be rejected. In chapter 4 is the parable of the sower, and we've heard before that it is a pivotal story because it, it, it um, pivotal teaching because it establishes the necessity of listening to and understanding the words of Jesus. In chapter 5, we're introduced to a variety of groups of people who accept the words of Jesus in faith. And in the first part of chapter 6, we see the consequences of rejecting the words of Jesus. And in chapter 6, the latter half, verses 30 through 56, we are introduced to Jesus as the one who has come in fulfillment of the Old Testament promises to lead his people in a second exodus. He is God himself come to rescue his people as we see him as the shepherd rescuer feeding the 5,000 men and others, but also as the shepherd rescuer who walks on the sea and makes himself known to his struggling disciples. Running throughout chapters 4 through 6 then is this theme of understanding and misunderstanding which is tied to the presence or absence of faith. The Pharisees and other religious leaders do not understand and they reject Jesus in hostility. The disciples don't understand as well yet, but nonetheless they stick around and they stay with Jesus. Last week we looked at Mark 6, 45-56, and in Last week's episode of Jesus walking on the water, it left us wondering why the disciples are hard-hearted, or as we might say, why their minds were closed. And if that's the case with the disciples themselves, the question 
we have to ask is then who will be able to understand? Well, this new section that we're about to enter today explains the reason for this lack of understanding and prepares us for the major work that Jesus will have to do in order to change the situation, in order to soften hearts, in order to grant understanding. Join with me now as I read the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. Let's look first at this question for Jesus. It's really an accusation against Jesus by the Pharisees and the scribes. The scribes being the teachers of the law who are coming here from Jerusalem and the Pharisees. And here we see the representatives of the official religious leadership of Israel. It is not Jesus' first encounter with them. In chapter 2, verse 7, we see Jesus being accused by them of blasphemy. He's a question for eating with tax collectors and sinners in chapter 2. In chapter 3, they think he's he's possessed by a demon. Well, Jesus, as you know, has been attracting crowds and drawing people out to hear him speak. And as we left off last week, uh, he's been healing and people are coming to him. Well, they are investigating Jesus' popularity. They've come to observe Jesus And come to observe his disciples. And they are looking for a way to convict Jesus of breaking the law of Moses. Now you may say, really? We'll turn back to chapter 3 verse 6. And what do the Herodians and Pharisees do? They, they, They come together and have counsel. Why? In order to make plans to destroy 
Jesus. Make no mistake, the Jesus that we may have pictured in our minds, while He is gentle and while He is meek and mild and compassionate and gracious, nonetheless, He is a threat. He is a threat to the religious establishment, as we will see. So what did they find when they came to Jesus and His disciples? What did they see? They found that Jesus' disciples, some of them, not living according to the tradition of the elders. And in verse 5, here's the question. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Well, let's look at the answer that Jesus gives. Notice that Jesus really doesn't answer their question as they might have expected. Why? Because it's a trick question. It's a trap. Um, Some of you have heard the the question, and it's a good example. Um, Answer this question, men. Uh, When did you stop beating your wife? How do you want to answer that question? You're trapped. And Jesus, of course, knows it's a trick, knows it's a trap, and he doesn't walk into it. Rather, he answers their question, are you ready for this? By confronting their religion. And so today, we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking the answer Jesus gives to the question the Pharisees and scribes asked him. But remember, Jesus' answer is a confrontation. And so we'll see Jesus confronting a religion that is man-made, heartless, and hypocritical. Jesus is about building the kingdom, but in order to do that, he's got to tear down these other kingdoms. He's got to, in order to establish the true, he's got to destroy, as it were, the false. Now, these three descriptions of the religion that Jesus confronts are interrelated. You really can't separate them, but for the purpose of our growing and our understanding, we're going to look at them, as it were, one at a time. First, let's look at religion that is man-made. Religion that is man-made. Primarily, we see that in verse 8, where Jesus says this, you leave the commandment of God and hold on to the tradition of men. We see the expression, the tradition of the elders, in verses 3, 5, 8, and 9. Well, what is that? What is the tradition of the elders? Well, what it is, it's a detailed interpretation and application of the law of Moses to specific situations. And it's oral. It's not written down. It would come to be written down um, a century or two later. It's not part of the Old Testament law, but it's added as a list of ritual requirements. And here, the idea of being unclean, excuse me, of being unwashed has to do with ritually unclean. And what had originally been legislation for the priest has now been applied, as it were, to all of the people. And notice Mark is writing to a Gentile audience, a Roman audience, and so he has to explain Jewish customs. And in your Bibles, verses 3 and 4 may be in parentheses because it's kind of an aside. Uh, Jews would already understand what's going on, but not Gentiles. And so Mark has to, has to explain these Jewish customs in the first century. Now what this tradition of the elders is, as some of you may know, it's a fence 
It's a fence around the law of God. A fence that has more specific and strict rules than the Scriptures. Now, a fence around the law. Remember, fences can be good or bad. So what's a positive sense of this fence? Well, it may be thought to provide a buffer zone. You want to play it safe. Um, You don't want to violate the law that God has laid out. And so what you can do is just build some other laws out and away from that law. And so the hope is you don't get to violate God's law because you've got all of these other laws that you have to work your way through, as it were, breaking. So there is a positive side to this. And and indeed, the intention, of course, was to honor the Lord, honor His Word, honor His law. But, as Jesus rightly understands, and as Paul would understand, and others, this fence around the law might actually undercut and decrease the law's demands. Because specific rules are always, always easier to obey than broad principles. You know, we hear the Ten Commandments. They are specific and yet they are broad. But we're always asking the question, well, what about this and what about that? And that's sort of how this developed. When love for God and neighbor are broken down into 300 regulations then all the emphasis shifts to outward conformity and internal behaviors. And because it's a list of extra laws, it gives the impression that the law's demands are manageable and that you and I can fulfill them. But, as Jesus will explain elsewhere, if you focus on the deep virtue that the law is really after, then we will be humbled by the law as it leads us to a greater love and respect for others and a greater dependence upon God. And it also presses us to see the deeper issues of motivation and heart attitude at the root of a holy life. And indeed, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is doing exactly this. Well, let's, before we go on, ask ourselves this question. How do we add to the law today? Do we make a list? Do we make a list that we can check off? I mean, let's face it, we all do that, whether literally or in our, in our minds. Or maybe do we place greater emphasis on defending right doctrine? Now, before I go on, Defending right doctrine is absolutely essential. And I pray that grace and peace will always be a place of defending right doctrine. But is it to the exclusion of living that right doctrine out? Do we rest in the sentimental and secure emotion of tradition? Because sometimes tradition is safe. And it gives us a sense of security and satisfaction when, as we will see, it might actually be taking us away from the heart of God's law. I hope all of you have picked up a copy of this month's um, Table Talk magazine. When I um, called the editor about six months ago and said, on this day I plan to be speaking this passage, he said, hey, why not this month I'll come up with Table Talk that says legalism. The delusion of man-made religion. 
Now, for those of you that believe that actually happened, um, I'm sorry to say it didn't. This was just great timing. Because the opening article written by the editor is entitled Legalism versus Gospel Religion. And he makes some comments about man-made religion. Either the false religions of the world or, quote, religious rules that men add to the Scripture and, which, and with which they attempt to bind our consciences. He speaks of the invention of their own religious orthodoxy, the invention of laws around God's law, the attempt to turn our preferences into God's principles. Now, if you haven't gotten a copy of this, it's outstanding and very, very helpful. And I want to just quote a couple of sentences here because it's important as we go further now into this to, to understand what legalism is and what it is not. Legalism is not obedience to God and His law. Legalism is not learning to obey all that Christ has commanded. Legalism is not pursuing holiness. Legalism is not striving to please God and glorify God in all we do. Legalism is not being zealous in our good works and in bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. The, get this copy just for that statement, just for that article. He goes on to say this, legalism is not an error of Christianity. It is a different religion altogether. Legalism draws attention to us, but the gospel religion draws attention to Jesus Christ. Legalism gives us glory, but gospel religion gives God glory. Legalism is rooted in self-worship, but gospel religion is rooted in the worship of God. The tradition of the elders, Jesus is going to say, is legalism. And we see the rejection here of the commandment of God and the establishment of the tradition of men. Look with me again at verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold on to the tradition of men. Verse 9. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. There's the letting go and the holding on. A number of years ago, I was at the uh, Big Boy or the Frishes in downtown Covington with a, um, a friend. And we met regularly to study God's word and to encourage one another. And he made this interesting statement that I have never forgotten. He talked about the fact that when he reads the Bible and he runs up against something that God calls his people to do and he looks at his life and he realizes he's not, his life doesn't reflect that, he said this, one of us has to change. One of us has to change. Reminds me in the Navy, I had to learn the rules of the road so that ships would not run into each other. And we had various complicated rules of the road that you had to memorize and know how to navigate in and out of harbors and channels and all this stuff. But the real rule was this. The big ship has the right of way. The little ship gives way. Kids, what's the main rule of the road? The big ship has the right of way. And that's sort of like us and God. His word has the right of way. And we are to yield... It's not sometimes easy, 
But we are called to yield. And that's why we need one another in the church. Absolutely. We need one another to help us change. So Jesus confronts the leaders of a man-made religion. And because it is man-made, it will also be seen to be heartless. As we see in Jesus' quotation from Isaiah. So not only does he confront a religion that is man-made, he confronts a religion that is heartless. Of course, Jesus' motivation is to bring people, the people of Israel, back to conformity to God's Word. And he brings up Isaiah's prophecy. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I believe this might be the first time we read in Mark Jesus quoting the Old Testament. To be sure, Mark starts off right off the bat with a quotation from Isaiah. But here's Jesus quoting the Old Testament. And he's applying Isaiah's prophecy and word to the people of his day right here and now to the leaders of Israel. Prophets like Isaiah made it clear that Israel was exiled because of their sin. The exile was a picture of the final judgment which will fall on all of those who opt for man-made religion. Notice that the religion that is heartless gives lip service only. It gives lip service only. What do I mean? Well, here you see Jesus quoting Isaiah who wrote, This people honors me with their lips. That sounds pretty good, right? We are to honor God with our lips. You think our words are important? Absolutely. Do you think the words in our order of worship are chosen haphazardly? Absolutely not. Our words are important. Do you think speaking truth to your family and neighbor is important? Absolutely. James talks about the, 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 the lips can bless and curse. But that's not where it ends. But their heart is far from me. Their lips are here, but their hearts are somewhere else. The hearts remain motionless and cold. Motionless and cold. You all know what it's like to talk to me when my mind is somewhere else. That's a problem I need to work on. And by God's grace, you guys can pray that God would enable me to be right there with whoever I'm with and not somewhere else. You all know the deal. You're talking to someone, but you know they're not with you. They're somewhere else. This was a hard passage to study because this was a convicting passage. Because I kept hearing through God's Word, okay, Lee, where have you honored me with your lip but your heart has been way away from me. Oh, my friends, would we all be people whose lip and life come together, who are in the same place, who when we use our phone, 
to find out our location, like the lips and the heart are together and not, you know, directions too, but together. Because what is lip service only? It's worship that's in vain. Why? Because it's teaching the commandments of men versus the commandments of God. Notice in in verse 13 of Isaiah 29, which Jesus quotes, you can see behind this statement the purpose of the law is a relationship with God to get more of God, to please Him, to know Him, to, to imitate Him, to connect with Him. God wants our lips and our hearts together with Him. The great commandment that we heard earlier in our confession of sin, the law is just a way to know God, to resemble Him, to please Him. Why? Because it's an expression of His nature and His heart. If the law is a means to the end of deepening our connection with God, then it is functioning properly in our lives. When it becomes an end in itself, when we use it simply to prove to ourselves or to others, that we are good and moral people, you know what it does? It strangles us and those around us. And Jesus sees it and He knows it and He's going to rescue people from it. Now as I said, I could hardly get through this passage because of the, the weighty conviction. But ask yourself right now, when it comes to the worship of God, whether here on a Lord's Day morning or on a Monday morning at 5.30 or 3.25 on a Thursday afternoon, are your lips and your heart aligned? Are they together? Is the talk and the walk aligned? Is the outside and the inside congruent? Are they overlapping? Or there, rather, is there a major disjunction? Well, religion that is man-made and religion that is heartless is thus going to be religion that is hypocritical. Religion that is hypocritical. We see Jesus in verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Well, before we go on, we need to find out what hypocrisy is and what hypocrisy is not. And the term comes from Greek drama, having to do with the mask that the actors wear. The mask that the actors wear based on the part that they are playing. Well, what is hypocrisy? Well, it is pretense. It is behavior of people who do things that they tell people not to do. And why do I say that? Because this is what hypocrisy is not. Hypocrisy is not plain old, simple, sinful failure. All hypocrisy is sin, but not all sin is hypocrisy. So my friends, we're all guilty of a lot of sin. But if you, if you stumble and fall in this way or that way or the other, if, if you uh, know that you are to speak words of gentleness and yet a word of harshness comes out of your mouth, that is not hypocrisy. That's just sin. But if you teach people do this because you'll be pleasing to God, but you then live a life that is completely contrary to that, whether openly or hiddenly, 
That is hypocrisy. To be sure, the world labels all of the church as hypocrites. But again, they don't know how to distinguish between. And here, Jesus is going after the religious leaders who say one thing and do another, who I believe in Matthew, it says, don't do, do as they say, but don't do as they do. Jesus goes after hypocrisy. And here we see they are hypocrites for two reasons. Their actions, they're merely external and they do not come from their hearts as we saw. But their teachings are not from God but reflect the tradition of men. And then if Jesus does something brilliant, he goes, and here is a fine example. Here is an illustration. Here's a case study. And it's the case study of Corbin. For we read in verse 10, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But if you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you, are no lo- then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. Well, what is going on here? Corban, it's an Aramaic and a Hebrew word that has to do with something being legally dedicated to God for a religious purposes. And believe it or not, the laws that these religious leaders came to not only embrace, but then bind other people with, could actually make you violate one of the Ten Commandments. Children, what's the Fifth Commandment? Honor your father and your mother. So your parents are getting older. And some unexpected thing happens. And whereas the parent in your younger age is supporting you, God has made arrangements in years to come for children to help the parents. And yet, wow. I can't help mom and dad, you know, because these resources that could be used to help mom and dad, I have dedicated them to God. Now, they're still in my possession, but they are dedicated for the Lord's use and the Lord's work. My friends, Jesus sees this clearly. That's why he brings this. But these men do not see it. They've created traditions that actually nullify and make void the Word of God. They're hiding behind man-made tradition. And I tell you what, what does that do? It just gives room for the depravity of the human heart. They had so extended their traditions as to permit actual transgression of the moral law of God. So let me ask you this as we get toward the end. Uh, What kind of rules have you come up with that keep you from obeying God's revealed will? Primarily seen in the Ten Commandments. That's why we read it last week. That's why we should read it more and more. Are you coming up with good religious rules that actually take you further and further away from the heart of God? from His character. True and false religion, Jesus is addressing. 
He's confronted religion that is man-made, heartless, and hypocritical. Again, the hypocrisy is not just sin. It's actually we are teaching you to do something that is counter to God's revealed will. We, we know we're supposed to help our parents, but you know what? We're not able to. And what does Jesus say? And many such things you do. And Jesus will continue to build a case. Well, our text, like the title suggests, is a call to let go and to hold on. And it's not possible to hold on to one without letting go of the other. Just like it's not possible to be in the dock and in the boat at the same time. You either stay on the dock or you get in the boat. If you try to straddle both, you end up what, children? Wet. That's an illustration. Being wet's not too bad. But here, holding on to the traditions of men to the exclusion of holding on to the commandments of God is a bad thing. So we are called to let go of man-made, heartless, and hypocritical religion. And we are to hold on to the true religion revealed in the Scriptures as we will continue to see Jesus unfold. Now, as I mentioned, this was a very convicting text for me personally. And I hope it is for you also as you find out the location of your lips and your heart and you seek by God's grace to narrow the gap. But I want to end by reminding us or showing us that our text really is good news. It is great news. Why? Because first of all, it confronts us and therefore it warns us. And my friends, warnings when heeded lead to life and they don't lead to the danger that they expose. We ignore the warning lights on our dashboard to our peril. This is a warning. But second, it encourages us that the proponents of man-made religion that Jesus confronts do not have the final word. God has the final word. Turn with me, all of you, back to Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. Verses 1 through 14 are an oracle of woe against Jerusalem. But listen to verses 17 through 19 once again. It is not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. And verse 24, And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. My friends, we are seeing the restoration of the spiritually deaf 
and the spiritually blind. And we will see that in a couple of weeks, illustrated as Jesus heals the deaf and blind man. But also, also we see it fulfilled as Jesus announces His coming. As Isaiah 61 announces. So going back to the quote that opened up our time in God's word. Remember and rejoice that you have not the freedom to worship your own God. But that you've been given the ability and you've been called to worship the one living and true God as made known in Jesus And remember and rejoice that you don't have to make your own name. No. God the Father places His name on you and says, you are mine. Brothers and sisters, rest in that and rejoice in the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that we looked at today and father we are indeed are men and women boys and girls who can make for themselves a religion and we can certainly have our lips move but our heart be silent and cold and motionless Father, would you be pleased to revive our hearts would you enable our hearts and our lips to be together, that we would not worship in vain, but we would give you the worship in spirit and truth that you not only demand, but that you enable us to provide. Father, would you have mercy on us? Would you give us understanding? Would you soften our hard hearts? Would we never hear the words of Jesus to us starting out with woe but may we hear the words from Jesus saying come come to me all you who are heavy laden who are burdened and that he will give us rest father hear our prayer for we pray in Jesus name amen